how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why I mean, I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What does their, what does others healing look like? Everybody, this is Rose. And this is Louisa. And you're listening to Sober Sex. I made a promise to myself to stop not listening. What it looks like now is that I make conscious choices around my sexuality. It started with putting down the substances, really, and starting to listen. And the listening to my body has changed. Hi, welcome to Sober Sex. We are here this evening with Kane, who is a queer artist, content creator, adult entertainer, and activist. Whether it be through throwing LGBTQ plus inclusive events across London, challenging how people view sex work, or pushing the body positive uh, self-love agenda, Kane can always turn it up and turn it out. Hey, welcome, Kane. Thank you for joining <laughs> us. Thank you for having me. How are we doing? Thrilled to are be speaking good? with you this evening. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> it's neutral, babe. It's neutral. Yeah, super happy to have you here. How? Where are you right now? Tell me everything. You're in uh, London. I, where? I'm, I'm in my bedroom in London Bridge in London. Yeah. Nice. I had South a long walk. River. I had a long walk. I had a meeting that ran over. So yeah, it's been a productive Beautiful. day. But it's about to get a lot more productive, I think. <laughs> yes, bring it on. That's bring it. it on. <laughs> and how are you? I'm well. Yeah, I'm good, actually. It's um, it's coming up to a year of, of Miss Corona, isn't it? So it's a year of reflecting, really. It's a wow, nice way to see it. Not- <laughs> That's very <laughs> positive. Of- yeah, absolutely. I mean, I did have a few days where I was like, wow, I haven't done the job that I really, truly love, nightlife, mm. for almost a year now. But, um, you know, you have to look at that and think, what have I achieved? What has that forced me to do instead? Yeah. Beautiful. That's a beautiful perspective. What specifically is it that you haven't done in the last year that you kind of miss? Oh, my gosh. Without sounding like a martyr, um, looking, <laughs> after my, looking after my friends and my community and queer artists, it's like I miss partying I love partying but it was only when I got into throwing events I realized oh my god I love throwing the party rather than attending the party um and maybe that links with sobriety as well but yeah definitely miss booking my friends and my new potential friends and kind of creating that atmosphere yeah wow yes definitely hear that and it I don't think it sounds martyrish I think it's like it's important to recognize like this is an opportunity to like feel out what is actually important to us by like the things that we're really longing for. So I definitely have yeah. <laughs> been in that boat as I'm sure a lot of the people listening have. So my, my deep condolences and empathy <laughs> for all oh, the things fun. we missed. <laughs> we're all going to have a big cuddle puddle when this is over. I'm convinced. Oh my God. <laughs> it's going to be immense, isn't it? I'm like, well, I remember how to cuddle. I, somebody touched me on the shoulder the other day that wasn't the person I live with. And I was like, like, oh, it was so weird. I'm like, I was like, boundaries. I'm like, are we having sex? <laughs> it was so weird. It was like my friend's husband, and he was just like moving past me to get yeah. to the dishwasher. And I was like, this is intense. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> like, it's going to be like that, but fucking times a thousand. <laughs> yeah. 
with a, with a thousand people. Yes. With any luck. <laughs> um, and so we noticed on your social media that your pronouns are he, him. Is that cool to use? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank awesome. you. We are both go by she, her. We just, I think it's part of the conversation is like normalizing uh, pronoun asking. Of course, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Pronoun asking. <laughs> so London is pretty intense Corona moment these days. How, you, how have you, apart from obviously it seems like you've got a really great perspective, but generally how have you felt <laughs> that you've been coping with it? Um, I mean, the start was really, really, really rough. I think because I've been in nightlife since I was 18, I'm now 25, turning 26 this year, it was kind of a forced pause for the first time in my whole life that I was like, oh my goodness, okay, do I actually enjoy nightlife? Do I do I enjoy the job that I'm doing? Do, like, Are these people my friends or are they people that I bump into? So it was kind of this huge pause that was kind of like, whoa, I've lost a huge chunk of my identity. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's kind of like, I'm lucky to have the friends that I do have and they kind of pulled me out and I kind of realized I have talents elsewhere that I've kind of slept on um not literally because of nightlife but um (laughs) (laughs) and it's kind of like I I kind of sat down and I thought right I need to find a vehicle not only to make money this year but to keep myself sane and to keep myself you know proactive um so yeah there was dark moments I'm sure there will be dark moments to come but I'm very lucky to have found vices that have led to happiness (laughs) <laughs> oh, tell us about those i want to hear about your vehicles what are you driving <laughs> from in lorry or like are we talking ford escort <laughs> double decker double decker <laughs> yes <laughs> go on what are they um i mean i got touch i got in touch with my with myself more than anything i mean i think it links into picking up the steps of of aa as well at the same time but also just just sitting down with myself and thinking why do you do that or why do you say that or why don't you say that um so you know I got back into sex work I, I got back into OnlyFans I started doing these things you know I started being crafty in a way that wasn't so performative because like um prior to the pandemic like my main creative output would be either performance or drag or costume whereas now I've been able to vent it into you know like personal things like embroidery or drawing and stuff like that something that's I mean it's always been for me but this is very like I'm not going to post that on social media I'm not going to wear that to the club this is purely a creative outlet that I can you know put in my room or put under the bed (laughs) yeah but what you said about like the a huge part of the identity being being performative like I definitely relate to and have felt like a weird there was a moment kind of in the middle of summer where I was like why don't I feel like I'm kind of a in my skin and B like I have a perspective on like who and what I am and what I'm doing and it's like oh because I haven't been performing so I have no idea how other people see me which is like both unhealthy and also like a big part of my life so I wonder kind of if that um like exploring the kind of internal arts as opposed to just like um extroverted ones yeah yeah absolutely yeah and I've discovered a lot more for that as well it's kind of like um I've kind of stepped back from doing more club kiddie kind of drag performance stuff not only because there's not a platform to do it on really but more I was kind of like oh maybe I was just doing that for you know the free drinks or something like that so it's kind of forced me to be like why did you do that and I still love it and I cherish it deeply but it's just something that doesn't really light my fire at this moment yeah and I mean I think it's in, in like I know that my kind of journey through recovery took 
like I was, I was DJing and, and playing in clubs before. And that was like such a, a big part of everything I did. And then I went to rehab for fucking nine months, which was literally for, it's like shorter than Corona, literally, <laughs> but forever. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but then like having, like you said, like kind of having to make a choice in sobriety of like, is, can I still do this with integrity? Like, why am I here? What's my purpose in this, in this space and, and discovering like, Oh, it's like, it's music, it's performance, it's connection. It's not just being here to be a like drug bucket. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, I think it links to what I said before. It was like, it was that shift of, I always thought I loved partying, but now it's so, it's more, I love throwing the party and being at the party and being present at the party. You know, like I miss dancing just as much as anyone else, but I miss, the the atmosphere around it a lot more do you the energy do you feel like kind of the controlling nature of many (laughs) recovering drug addicts and alcoholics is part of your (laughs) but like controlling the atmosphere is part of the the you getting sober like (laughs) that you're like oh actually I like to control things (laughs) oh my god absolutely with so many with so many elements in my life yeah completely (laughs) same same (laughs) I don't relate at all. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's so interesting though, isn't it? Like I could never, it was always very hard for me to go out at night without kind of having some instrumental job within it. I was either like working the bar or like I was there to support somebody very specifically, or I was like doing, had some kind of purpose. I would I was rarely ever one of these people who just showed up who was like, I'm just going out for the night to enjoy myself. That was like, I mean, what is that? (laughs) You know, that's alcoholic behavior. (laughs) You're just like, I just don't feel great. (laughs) But um, it it does. A yeah, mission. That- I need a mission. <laughs> it talks about it though. No, yeah. it, it talks about it in the in the basic text of a twelve step program. Um, this idea that like if you have a purpose, be it social or business or like supportive, that like if you have a good reason for being out, just like make sure you do, and then you're 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 you can be golden. But if not, if you're just going to go have a vicarious fun and try and be a weird vampire, <laughs> that like stay home. Work the steps. Call a newcomer. They're like, <laughs> they're. But I love their like their insistence that like it's possible to party sober even in the 30s. A bunch of like dad stockbrokers. <laughs> they were like, like, you can still events. have a great time. <laughs> they were all like, we're creating a future of 12 step event parties producers. <laughs> oh my god, that's a party I would go to. A I'm Bagsy me for ripping keyboard keys out of piano. <laughs> Have you read that bit? These deep cuts, these deep cuts of the big book. It's like there was one guy who burned all our mattresses. (laughs) Another guy who just who a drunk who we took into our homes who ripped the keys out of pianos. I'm just like, where is this guy? (laughs) How strong do you have to fucking be to like leverage a fucking piano key? That's like (laughs) that's some fucking that's some speed from Axminster, like for sure. Oh, up for four days he's at pianos <laughs> anyway we're going completely off the topic let's cannonball into the deep end here so what were some of the early messages you received around sex and sexuality when you were growing up or uh Oof. yeah minimal very very minimal in terms of sexuality really really quite slim pickings um i would say tv really 
and even then I think the representation that there was of that just wasn't wasn't authentic at all um I think it I would be obsessed with shows like Skins because <laughs> that was just like that was that is what I would think oh my god this is what teenagers should be doing and it was always like the the partying and the after parties and those sort of things would go hand in hand with sex so I'd kind of think oh, okay that's what you do you don't drink to dance you drink to you know get the but. confidence to hook up yeah the fuck. <laughs> absolutely um but I know it was really really minimal minimal messages that I would receive so it was only when I came to London when I was probably about 18 that it was like whoa an explosion of like sex and sexuality and gender and expression yeah, I come from the Midlands, by the way, from a very, very regional where in, village. Where in the Midlands? At Nuneaton, do you know it? It's near Coventry. No, where is Okay. It's, it's a small, I mean, it's a town, but it's it's regional. It's a womb to tomb sort of place. Okay. <laughs> God, it was incredible. It was like I was meeting people who who thought the same as I did or wanted to, or they did dress the, same, the way that I wanted to dress. You know, it was like boys wearing lipstick and my little 18-year-old regional mind was like, oh my god like couldn't believe it yeah it was really I mean it's the classic story of a of a queer person kind of moving to London and, and finding their people really um I mean at the time not the right people now the right people definitely but at the time yeah maybe not the right people <laughs> how did that lead into kind of recovery and sobriety um, so I'm 16, I'm 16 months sober, so I picked Yay! that up. Woo! That's very exciting. Thank you very much. Uh, so I picked that up. Well, I picked that up. It makes it sound so easy. Um, I thought, that. Just I had thought, a go at that. <laughs> I started my sober journey uh, 16 months ago after it had just been nonstop from such a young age. It's like when I, when I met my sponsor and we went through the, we started to go through the steps about six months into my journey. Um you know, we sat down and we, one of the exercises we did was we wrote from first sip to last sip. And in between, we did every mm. single drink, every single key drink that I had. And the, the first sip that I ever had was, I don't know, 13, 14 at a party with my friend trying to impress their sister, their older sister. And then the last drink I ever had was me, a manager at Heaven Nightclub on Halloween, like buying, well, not even buying, just getting it free, just getting the vodka behind the bar, impressing everyone. And it was just the same. It was the same story, but with a huge gap in between. And it was just this whole, ever since London, it was always like, I need to impress people. And the way that I'm going to do that is by taking this alcohol and this drug to fuel me and make me a better person. And it just became, it just became unmanageable, especially when I fooled my employer into thinking that I was a responsible adult and manager. (laughs) So I was throwing these events that, you know, I, I felt passion towards them and, and they're my babies and I cherish them incredibly, but they were essentially vehicles, again, <laughs> to, um, mm. to fuel this addictive personality. Like, it took a minute for me just to sit down and be like, oh shit, that happened. Because I yeah. couldn't quite, I knew I needed to stop, but I couldn't quite, like, process it. Yeah, and I and I dabbled for, like, years. I dabbled with, um, you know, oh, I'm going to do, I'm going to do a month no drinking just to remind myself I can, like, especially in this industry, like, it's healthy to take a little break here and there. And I would do it, but, like, what my friends and my peers wouldn't know is that I would count to day 31 and I would be like, oh, my God, I need that drink. It wasn't, God, oh, yeah, a month flew by, no drinks. It was like, <laughs> oh, my God, I'm in pain not drinking right now. So yeah, I mean, I, it's the it's the it's the it's the sub story of tried so many things to kind of until I realised, woof, 
this is a problem. But in a way, it's kind of a relief to have tried all those things, don't you think? Because you can be like, I definitely needed my head to say, I don't know. I, it was funny because people say, oh, you know, have you relapsed or things like that? And I was like, well, I didn't even know that's what I was doing because I wasn't aware that I had a, I knew I was a problem drinker, but I was just like, stop, start, stop, start, yeah. stop, start. You know, I didn't yeah. know that I was relapsing, but essentially that's what I was doing. Yeah, completely. Yeah. And then, so how did, how did like, on a separate thread, how did like the journey into kind of sex work start once you, once you moved to London? Like, it sounds like you came like a baby deer, <laughs> like, like Bambi <laughs> arrived in London, started doing oh drugs and fucking. How did that, and, like, what was like, your kind of trajectory? At Euston Station smoking crack. Um, no, it was, um, <laughs> I mean, I've always, been, I've always been a sexual person even before I moved to, um, to London. So I come from, as I said, a regional village and I used to do cam shows for an incredibly young age to kind of get money. I mean, it was chump change back then to kind of just get by, kind of look after my mom and stuff like that. As soon as I turned 18, I got into studio porn and it was just a, it was just a good way of getting some quick, easy money. So, I mean, I can't even remember how much it was, maybe a couple of hundred, but it would be in the bank account and I'd be like, cool, wicked. And I always viewed, again, sex as a, as, as a means to an end. Like it was like, if I do this, this person will stay with me the weekend if I do this this mm. person will you know pay me if I do this the party can continue um and then when I moved to London uh, I actually I actually rejected my sex work it's um the more people that kind of found out it was still the stigma behind it and then I was fortunate enough to land a job at heaven and I've kind of been brainwashed into thinking if you do porn you are you're never going to have a normal job so when mm. I did land you know, a normal job, I was like, oh my God, I need to hold on to this. Deny everything else. This is my normal job. I've got it. I can fling that all out. And it was only until, as I said, a year ago, a year and a half ago that I thought there's room for both in my life. And I know that that comes from a place of, of privilege and maybe it's age, maybe it's financial security, but there's, there's room for both of those things in my life. And there's so, so, so much room for me to explore and, and regain strength from what I used to do. Yeah. Wow. That's such a positive message. <laughs> I love it. I'm like lapping this up because I think it's so important that your voice is heard around this, you know? Thank you. Because it, it, especially in recovery, you know, it's yeah. so, I mean, there's such a like, I mean, this podcast was kind of born out of this, like, there's not just one way to do this, you know, like mm. intimacy is fucking enormous, yeah. you know? It, the big ass menu like let's stop having such a binary conversation in recovery around that yeah. totally and it sounds like your <clears throat> excuse me it sounds like your kind of journey back into it was really an act of self-love an actual kind of like almost um like an ex a, a broader expanse of kind of spiritual options you know like it that it's not a binary to be able to like choose a jobby job versus sex work that like you can do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> yeah. There's you know? room for both. Trust me. Um, yeah. And when I did, it kind of coincided with my sprite journey and getting back into sex work. And I thought, you know, there were some nights where I was like, Oh my God, is this just another vice? Is this just another destructive mm -hmm. vice? And it would take me back to being 16, being 17, being 18 and being told like, you know, almost sex work is a form of self-harm. Like, you know, you're degrading, excuse me, degrading yourself. Um, but no, it's like my journey back into sex work has been so, so vital to my recovery. 
on so many levels, not only learning to love myself, but also learning to not love the wrong people. For years prior to going sober, my higher power was with men and boyfriends. And when I, would, when I was down on my knees or I had something stressful coming up, I would turn to my boyfriend or a friend and I put so, so much weight on them. And I put it on myself and I put it on myself sexually. And it's when I stopped doing that, that, you know, I discovered a, a healthier, higher power. Lush. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny though, because it also sounds kind of inverse. Like I know that when I stopped, like I, I definitely relate to your journey in terms of like choosing unhealthy partners in my addiction, like, mm-hmm. because <laughs> it was just the, the why would I be with somebody who is healthy <laughs> at that point? <laughs> and then, but then having like no compass for what a healthy relationship looked like once I got sober and like slowly kind of creeping in that direction. And now thankfully being in a healthy relationship with someone I love, but like this idea of having to really like the sobriety was very disruptive to my relationship with sex and body and, and intimacy. Did you find that once you, it sounds like you actually got like, very empowered in recovery, but did you kind of find that sobriety was disruptive to not so much what you had been doing, but your kind of old ideas around it? Completely. Yeah. There were so many habits and kinks and, and fetishes that I thought were my own. And I thought I was genuinely into those, but it was only when I, you know, stopped, stopped self-harming through substance abuse that I realized, Oh my God, that isn't my kink at all. Like, don't get me wrong. I still have kinks and I have a, a very adventurous sex life, but you know, there were certain things that I used to do, like public sex or something at work that I thought was a kink. And it wasn't. It was just me wanting to get caught at work, wanting to get, well, not wanting, but going to get fired, going to, you know what I mean? It's self-destructive. So when I did go mm. sober, I thought, wow, this, it was so linked to my sex life. And even the way I view myself sexually, it was so, so linked. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like, how have you kind of felt the rewire? Like, what is the rewiring process felt like as you start to discern what's yours and kind of what are, what were ideas that you were kind of like attaching to yourself that didn't necessarily stick as you like gain more kind of self-integrity? Because I think it's definitely like a process. Like, it's not just like light switch, like sober now, make, I can make choices. <laughs> <laughs> like, do I like this? <laughs> Um, I think with the content that I create now through um, through my own directed porn and everything like that, just it, it kind of links back to when I was 18 and the studio porn that I would do. I mean, I don't have that. I don't have a sub story of being exploited or anything like that. It was all consensual. But I look back and I think well, maybe those storylines were a little bit, you know, not keen on those ones, you know, kind of like schoolboy kind of vibes. Whereas now, and I think from there, it kind of, doing porn from such a young age with no say over the storylines or what photos get released or anything like that. I think now to do sex work and even just the people that I have sex with, I'm so in control of it. So, so in control of it. If I don't want to do a certain storyline or a certain outfit, I don't have to do it if it makes me uncomfortable. Um, So I just think just reclaiming that narrative that I once lost. Yeah. That sounds so powerful. Like, fuck. (laughs) I'm so excited to hear that you have you're having this experience at like 16 months sober and, you know, at like the age 25, because I feel like, you know, so many of our conversations have been like (laughs) it takes so it it can take so long to kind of reconnect with this because there's so much like old information, especially when you talk about like a spiritual program of recovery that you're like, well, 
God obviously hates sex. And it's like, where did I fucking learn that? That's not true. Yeah. <laughs> like, where in the book does it say that, you know? Um, can you just talk about that moment when you were like, I need to be in recovery? You know, it's it's really, really hard to pinpoint because I did do so many trial and errors of, you know, three weeks here, a month here to kind of stop. And I don't have, I don't have that story of uh, friends sitting me down or telling me, oh, you know, this is a problem. And sometimes in like, in my darker moments, I kind of have a bit of resentment towards that. Like, I won't lie. And I've vocalized that to my friends, you know, in an honest <laughs> you way. Guys. I've kind of been like, yeah, I'm kind of like, in like, I'm kind of like, obviously it's not your responsibility, but like, why didn't you say anything? <laughs> yeah. But again, it's like, it's like you said, it's like having done that, it makes me stronger now. The fact that it was my decision and it was my own, um, my own conjuring up to do it. Um, I think, I think it's plain and simple. It just started out as another, you know, I'm going to do a sober month here. And I think it just stuck. And I just started to think, okay, I'm getting more stuff done. I'm, I'm being more productive. I'm feeling better. And then, as I got to six months, I thought, okay, this is this needs to stick. <laughs> so I started to to look at the thinking behind the drinking. I reached out to a friend, and they they recommended a sponsor based in um in New York. So we've never met, and I think that kind of worked in our favour. We come from similar backgrounds of queer nightlife, and it kind of works in our favour that we kind of aren't too connected because he's he's not afraid to be like no. No, like if I say, you know, he's, he's very brutal. Like if I'm like, oh, I don't want to give you a FaceTime today, I'm a bit tired. He's like, nope, that's you just being lazy and are trying to avoid this. Wow, yeah. <laughs> which is, which is what, what me especially definitely needs. <laughs> and what drew you to 12-step recovery? Uh, yeah, so we're working through the steps. I'm currently on step four. Yeah. Lush. But did, how how did you find out? that 12 step was or something that was accessible had somebody kind does it was there somebody you knew who was getting sober or had been sober or um so it's the main people in my life that I look up to I mean I was lucky enough to I got into nightlife through a friend called Larry T who, who oh, we love Larry T. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he he really was my mentor for such a, such a long period of time and he still is in so many ways and, and uh, he's just someone I've always I'd lie. I just thought he's sober and he bangs on about it so bloody much. It must mean some, it must mean something. <laughs> so um, so him really was kind of like I thought, yeah, he's doing it. I'm going to give it a go. And and yeah, from there I reached out to a friend. They they declined sponsoring me for a number of reasons, <laughs> nothing personal. <laughs> um, and they recommended a friend to me. And then from from there he kind of was just like where are you from? And I was like, oh, I'm from the Midlands. So I come from this village where, you know, I went to a church of England and our, our idea of God was, you know, man in the clouds with a grey beard. And he was like, delete that. Like, get rid of that from your memory. Your God can be wow. whoever or whatever you want it to be. And I was like, okay, I can understand that. And then from there, we, we just went from there. That's awesome. Oh, and I, I think like if there was such a thing as 12 step saints that Larry T should be like at the top of the list. <laughs> he's so like he's got helped so many people get sober, which is so awesome. Yeah. We should have him on the show. I was actually reading an article. I sent it to you, to Rose because she was going to interview Tommy Sunshine. And um, it was an article that came out in the Village Voice in in New York, which was like a free paper 
um, it was the month that I got sober. So it was May, I think it was like May 23rd of 2006. I got sober on May 1st. So this came out while I was in rehab and I was like, mom, dad, look, they're sober DJs. <laughs> but it was like, it was um, Larry T or Princess Superstar talking about how Larry T helped her get sober, which was really like, oh man, like Mental. it's so nice to know that those people are still in recovery and alive and that it's like, I, th- I think it's so important to to talk about even like not to break anonymity or anything, but to, to recognize that like, Oh, it's possible. Just like the idea that it's possible to like do this work and stay sober and have a really fucking fun life. Like not yeah. feel like you're missing out. Larry would be the perfect guest for this. Absolutely. Yes. I should hit him up actually. We, that's a, such a good idea. I can't believe we haven't <laughs> thought of that before. <laughs> Thank you, Kane. <laughs> Yeah. Like Kane said, you have we have to have you on the show. <laughs> oh, he'll love that. <laughs> um, so kind of speaking of nightlife uh, and also of sex work, there's like obviously you know we talk about the challenges in nightlife of staying sober, but do you feel like that there are specific challenges within kind of sex work that um, you know it, addiction either presents the community or the idea of getting sober makes it really hard? Like, wait, that's a badly phrased question. <laughs> how does dick addiction how does dick how does dick affect sex work just kidding um, how does addiction affect the sex work community um i think i i don't really know for the sex work community i can't speak on that behalf because as i said i kind of got out of studio porn uh, around 20 um but i think queer life in general to be a gay queer Mm. man it kind of just marries together doesn't it really um it's a difficult one it's it's hard to link to sex work I know that my resentment towards sex work that I did from a young age when maybe I didn't love myself and didn't own my decisions so much would force me to drink I don't think that was because of the settings or the backgrounds that I was put into you know there's not like when you start up in the studio, they don't like inject you with heroin and like, make you have a Budweiser. <laughs> but I, mm, Budweiser. <laughs> Budweiser. Everybody wants for a blackout. <laughs> but I think, um, but I think the lack of maybe aftercare that I had around sex work would make me, you know, down that slippery slope. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I mean, especially I think that like, as you say, that there's such a kind of endemic challenge within queer communities, especially like, as you say, gay men uh, around addiction. But also I think that there's this like fucked up narrative put on on sex workers as like as kind of victimized into the role and again like this is differentiating sex work from human trafficking which is totally not the same thing but this idea of like if if we say sex work is work then it's like saying sex workers are workers and that there's like you know workers in a struggle who are worthy of radicalizing and uh, unionizing and organizing it's not like i don't know it feels like that. I guess we're curious as to like kind of how to support as people in recovery, support communities that like, I don't know, might not necessarily have the easy access points of like, like this, this is, this is like the longest, worst question of all time. I delete everything I'm saying. Yeah. I'm following it though. I'm following it. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think obviously in the UK, sex work is legal, but you can do it. But I think it lacks 
those aftercare and those you know those switchboards and those and that support bubble that other jobs may have like I mm. get that it is a diff- it is a different job to work in in a cafe it really really is <laughs> but it still it still requires if not more of those you know support networks is that what yeah. you're kind of yeah. Well, support networks in terms of like we have, you know, I know, for instance, like in the music industry, like at least in America, there's something called Music Cares that is basically a recovery network um, that's funded by the Grammys, <laughs> which is sick. Oh, wow. It like sends sends musicians and people in the music industry to rehab, for, for example, because it's known that it's like a widely uh, spread issue of, of people in the music industry being total fucking drug addicts and alcoholics. <laughs> and it's like, wouldn't it be um, amazing if the same could be offered for people who are doing sex work? Because it does seem like, you know, it... I think wherever we're using our bodies, be it as like dancers or pro athletes or, you know, like any, any time that we put stress on ourselves like this in order to perform, it can often lead to addiction and alcoholism. Yeah. And I think the settings that sex work occurs is, you know, it's um, predominantly at night, at parties, in bedrooms, after parties, and those things are prone to alcohol and drugs. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Is Go. You go. <laughs> no, because I was going to change directions. Change directions. Yeah, no, it's like, what changing. can we do? And it's like, that's not a good what question. What can we do? <laughs> tell us what to do. Kane. How can we support? <laughs> change the world. Kane, tell us how. Come on, get to it. <laughs> I'm going to ask a real dumbass question. Do it. Just because I no questions like or dumbass to. questions, Rose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you differentiate? If so, how your relationship with sex or sexuality for pleasure and sex for work? There's certain things that I just will not do, you know, on a camera or with a client, you know, um, just personal things, really. Like, obviously, nothing like kissing. <laughs> I'll obviously do that anywhere. Um, but, you know, there, there just have to be certain things that, you know, are precious to my partner. Because if I do happen to land a partner, they, they're ideally going to be supportive of my career but I also want there to be an element that I can point blank prove to them you know this is something that me and you do that no one else in the world gets to see and that's a choice because some people you know they can do anything and and the porn that I do create and the content that I do create is very honest so I do keep it as realistic to my to my real life as possible because that's one of the perks of doing self-produced stuff you know you can leave in the realities of sex you know I leave in me dropping the slippy loo bowl I leave in me che- I, you know me checking that my partner's okay I leave in the awkward me grabbing the towel you know I mean it's still a finesse product I don't want I don't want people thinking my only fans is me old clumsy bill but, um, <laughs> but I don't, but I don't <laughs> just me like some par- parody you're just like so not that person as well so it's really funny to just be like oh the peels everywhere <laughs> banana peel here um, <laughs> like comedy porn we, we didn't know it but Kane is a comedy porn enthusiast <laughs> just like traffic cones everywhere fucking like mouse traps popping down <laughs> oh I promise you I will do that as my next scene <laughs> um, so sex inspired ladies and gentlemen you had it here first <laughs> but, but yeah like the more comfortable I got in in what I produce and and I think it is again a luxury of um I don't want anyone just starting out to feel like they they can do this and there'll be a huge success because it does come from 
you know, being on Flag Wars and having a certain level of exposure. But since I have had that exposure, you know, I've made it my daily ideal to to debunk porn myths, really. It's like I stopped editing my photos on Instagram. I stopped lying on Instagram about always being happy. It's like now is the time to stop lying on my OnlyFans about sex being easy because it's really not sometimes. (laughs) But that's so beautiful. I mean, especially because it sounds like there's like a, you know, today I heard that based on, I think, what's uh, Peggy Orman? She did that book, Girls and Sex and then Boys and Sex. And she's talking about like, (laughs) in America, at least where we have only like 16 states require (laughs) that sex education has to be medically accurate, which is so Mm. fucked up. (laughs) That's so <laughs> and, and fucking like medically accurate like that's like such a bare minimum it's like you're not even talking about feelings like, it's just like anyway just acknowledging genitalia <laughs> but this idea that like it was like 76 percent of young men or something that don't quote me on that statistic and like 49 percent of young women were getting all of their sex information from porn and so this idea of like producing something that feels real and authentic as opposed to kind of producing something that feels like fantasy sex that's actually impossible seems like a really noble and like kind of a a beautiful gesture to people who are fans who do you find that like self-produced porn has a different quality of connection with people who are viewing it like do you feel like you develop relationships with your viewers and not like on a personal level but that you have kind of a yeah i think i think think it's a huge selling point to do you know self-produced content i think when i when i post a photo i think my subscribers feel like I've just sent it to them personally. And, you know, in a way I have, but it's not just like some huge thing that can be found on like the banner of Pornhub, you know, it's something that's a bit more personal and a bit more, you know, realistic. And, you know, and it gives, it gives way for more, Hey guys, new month. What do you want to see this month? And it's mad, you know, it's like one time when I was, when I was first starting out, I did, you know, tripod set up. I did like an hour recording, edited it, did lovely transitions, like title sequence, not title sequence. And, you know, it didn't go down that well. They kind of prefer that amateur feel of, you know, I mean, not clunky again, but putting up the tripod and, you know, they prefer it to have that more no backdrop, you know, in a bedroom because that's what they want to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More authentic. That's yeah. so. It's such an interesting thing. Like basically, your art is like using people's erotic imaginations to give them what they want. Like, how did you mm. discover that you are like gifted at this? <laughs> You're like, <laughs> this make- is my gift. I have to share it with the world. <laughs> uh, you're gonna make me blush. Um, I just think I don't know. You know, it's like I, I, I'm confident in in myself and and the way I look and I still have hiccups here and there maybe twice in a day you know everyone does but if I can be of service to someone else and make them feel confident or make them feel good then that's a really nice feeling it's very beautiful <laughs> <laughs> and and what advice would you give to somebody who was like starting out like you said that you kind of really miss your little crew that you take care of and things like that what kind of nuggets are you partaking and sharing I think just make sure that everything that you do is really authentically for yourself Mm. not just with sobriety or or you know anything I think but especially with with your body and your mind just make sure you know it's like take 30 seconds to pause before you post that photo like am I posting this for the likes am I posting it for me 
um, that outfit that you wear. Am I wearing it? You know, it's just really pulling it just back for you, especially this year, I think, especially with everyone, well, the percentage of people being locked in. I think it's been a real chance to pause and sit with yourself and think, what do I want to do? <laughs> and it's a great period. I mean, I hate, hate, hate being locked in. I wish we could all obviously get lifted, but I think it's creating a, a shared collective of people being forced to sit with their ideas, whether it be for music, whether it be for nightlife, whether it be for campaigns or charity work. I think it's forcing people to sit with those ideas and perfect them. And when we can apply them, I think they're just going to be incredible. Wow. So do you think that they'll be like, when we when we get to go out there again I'm like what's this going to be like I'm just like so anxious about that bit but the do you feel that people will be coming out with some really interesting new versions of what we saw before yeah I think so I hope so I think it will be a liberation of of the arts especially and and my me myself as well it's like I work for heaven and it's uh, you know it's branded as Europe's largest LGBTQ venue and I've kind of, you know, I've sat with it and I thought maybe some of the events we were putting on before weren't ticking every single letter on that, on that, you know, that thing. It's like maybe it is predominantly more steered towards gay white men. So even my own events, you know, I'm not afraid to critique the things that I've done. Amazing. But when it is lifted, I think, you know, let's make sure every single category is ticked and these events are for everyone. And I think I hope people are doing that as well for the art and the work that they produce as well beautiful yeah it definitely feels like there's def- like, like a big cultural shift and like I was for instance like we watched Superbad last week which was I think released in like 2011 if I'm not mistaken no maybe not that late but either way I don't know I have no concept of time but it felt like there was like like literally two black people in the entire movie and it was like I don't think I, I noticed that when I saw it the first time you know and it's so this, this idea of like no, it's everybody's kind of responsibility to like step the fuck up and, and as you mm. say, make things more inclusive and like notice when that's happening. You know, mm. we say it's yeah. like three white people in conversation. But, you know, <laughs> again, it's like it's, it's maybe it's also important for us to be having these conversations and like doing the fucking work. So when things are open again, we can be more mindful of inclusion. Yeah, absolutely. So to kind of pivot again <laughs> um oh, we've that. noticed we love it it's like it's like a dance um <laughs> on instagram i noticed that like when i was searching your name it kept offering other canes which let is even <laughs> though i follow you so it, it it led me to believe that you were probably shadow banned which is a fucking bummer um and how so like a couple questions hang on a second for a lot of people including myself <laughs> what is shadow banning so shadow banning is like something that social media does um to people that are disrupting the feed <laughs> like our lovely yeah. friend Kane here <laughs> yes um and so they'll in so for instance if i type in like ro you'll you'll be the first person that pops up rose right like your profile because we follow each other and there's a lot of activity between us will be the first thing that comes up in the suggestions where if i type in kane's in, entire name perfectly <laughs> it's not until the last underscore which we'll get to later how to spell your <laughs> how to spell your online monikers but it like for it the 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 feed is is withholding kane's information <laughs> No, I'm not okay with this. And yeah. basically, it's like it's <laughs> not that it's up to me. But <laughs> that's bad <laughs> <I've had> enough. <laughs> yeah, fuck this. So, 
it's, it happens a lot within sex work or even just with anybody being kind of particularly disruptive and initially like on on some level it might be healthy for like people who are being real politi- political agitators in in scary and um hateful ways like that might be a, a an argument for shadow banning but at the same time you know for people who are trying to make a living on the internet i think it's really like shitty and you know obviously talks speaks to our sex phobic sex negative culture um mm. <laughs> how do you feel about like i mean how do you feel like is hmm, i want to say like is there anything that we can do but it's like how like how do you navigate that you know like how do you navigate kind of a like homophobic sex negative like bullshit white supremacist patriarchy capitalist culture <laughs> um, yeah What's that like? <laughs> Just <kidding. laughs> How is that for you? I mean, it's a weird feeling. It's, um, I mean, it's not the it's not the end of the world, definitely not. Um, but it's weird. It kind of pulls it back to that feeling of like what you are saying and what you are doing is wrong. And it's weird. It's like maybe that shadow ban. I think they only last a, a certain few months. Maybe that shadow ban came about because you know I, I posted a photo with my bum, or maybe I said the word, maybe I said the word bitch or something on my story, and it kind of flagged up. But to think that maybe that was one mistake, well, not even one mistake, but it's one occurrence of that. And, you know, it's like, I hope that shadow ban still isn't there when I go to share this or when I go to share another mm. podcast that I may have done or an article where I speak about, you know, equality in, in nightlife. You know, I mean, it's, it's a weird feeling to think I'm, I may have shared my bum, but I'm a lot more than a bum. <laughs> you well, know? and that you're being punished for doing something that essentially isn't shameful. Speaking of bums, I have <laughs> <laughs> a beautiful latex bump behind me um, but it, like it, again this this idea of it sounds like you've done a lot of work to kind of be super empowered in your choices and make them out of self-integrity and self-love and then this kind of like cultural messaging from the on the very platforms that you're working from are like kind of working against that so how do you preserve your own um attachment to the road that you're on you know how 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 do you let that bounce off of you as opposed to absorbing that negativity you just have to I personally just treat it as social media you know it's like if I okay I can't post uh, a bald photo or a bum photo on Instagram so I'll go to Twitter and you just have to find (laughs) (laughs) or you are not telling man <laughs> yeah, you just have to find somewhere else to do it, which is a weird, weird feeling. You know, it's like my my Twitter previously was on, you know, twenty five thousand followers, and I put my bum as my banner, and you're not allowed to do that. I didn't know, but um, obviously, it's kind of a free for all on Twitter. But if you put something on your banner that doesn't follow the rules, obviously, it's an invasion of because you know someone might accidentally come across my page. I do understand it, but now I kind of oh my god, I live in fear that everything might get mm. me taken down one day just because maybe you know even an old post or something like that it's a weird feeling yeah totally and it, it, was it true that at one point only fans was trying to kind of pivot into like a celebrity like a celebrity video platform as opposed to more explicitly like adult content and like what the fuck so i, <laughs> so I think so i think I mean, anything goes on OnlyFans. You can really post whatever you want. But yeah, the last year has seen a huge increase in artists like, you know, Cardi B posting behind the scenes sort of stuff from music videos. And that's fine and everything. I mean, there was this instance of one celebrity, I've forgotten her name now, and she doesn't deserve the airtime. Um, she, um, <laughs> she, got, she got loads of her fans to subscribe to her OnlyFans being like, see me like naked. 
And then they all subscribed. And then it was actually just a, it was the artwork for a new single. So everyone was like, what the hell? Everyone asked for a refund. And because that doesn't really happen on OnlyFans. People don't really ask for refunds because people are honest on it. Um, it caused this whole shift in their terms and conditions and their policies. So now, you know, someone could subscribe to my OnlyFans right now. And then by the time we finish this call, they've already, you know, finished their wank and asked for their refund. And there's no ever, there's no policy of me being like, you know, like, how are you going to prove this? <laughs> yeah. So it, so it caused, it, you know, it's kind of that story of someone invaded a sex worker space and flipped it on its head. Not in a good That's- way. <laughs> And it's not in a good way. And unfortunately, I mean, it's it's actually super awesome that in England, sex work is legal. Like, that's f- fantastic. Um, mm. Because, you know, in America, it is not. And in France, it's fucking super weird. I think that it's like, it's illegal to solicit. <laughs> you can't be inside. There's like the most fucked up, awful rules around it. Um, so this idea of like, what does... I mean, again, like apologies for treating you like the, <laughs> the number one authority on <laughs> sex work policy in, <laughs> My in the world. Western world. <laughs> but um, is there anything that people like people who want to be supportive of um, sexual empowerment and sex work and like generally sex positivity? Like, is there anything we can do to help support either artists or kind of policy change in the in favor of sex work? I think just. I mean, it, it would be weird to say, oh, subscribe to their OnlyFans, because, you know, I, I respect that there's people out there that don't want to see me in that way. But I think if someone does have an interest in that person, they should support that, you know, financially. And Absolutely. just like if they do share resources, which I've seen a huge increase in, in porn stars being more vocal about the industry that they work in rather than just, yep, I'm a porn star. Um, just sharing that sort of information, really. And to anyone that doesn't really support sex workers I think you know I was speaking to a friend a few days ago I think the main misconception is people think that sex workers and porn stars are doing what they do for other people because Mm. obviously other people see it but I think especially my journey and a lot of other people you know they're doing it for their own financial gain or they're doing it for their own self-love or their own body discovery and yeah like that content is then shipped out to the masses but essentially it doesn't mean that they are living their life for you what an interesting <laughs> reflection on that because I think it's such it's just such a I really hope it changes my grandmother my great-grandmother was a sex worker she died of syphilis sadly but um and my my father and my aunt lived like in the house and like a couple of floors up and just the way that the family kind of spoke about her and what she had to do just to be able to support her kids and you think uh-huh this is what she knew how to do. Like she was charismatic and I wrote this play about it a couple of years ago and found out all this really incredible information around her. And she was deeply charming. And what she was doing was like, she was providing a service to be able to support her family. Yeah. So she could get my grandmother back out of care, you know, and that kind of loop. And you just, and you hear so many misunderstood fucking things that just make me so irritated. you think what, I really hope it goddamn changes, you know. Mm. I really hope it starts ASAP because it's such a a narrow-minded conversation still, I think, mm. you know. I think it is working towards that way. 
you know, I kind of had these moments where I'm kind of like, have I, have I just found the right people to surround myself with? <laughs> or I think is, about that too. Yeah, or I'm kind of like, you know, there's no at no point am I ever ignorant. But um, but yeah, I think it is coming on a long way. You know, like shows like Slag Wars and stuff like that are kind of shifting the shifting the narrative a bit more. And can you actually tell us more about Slag Wars? Because I know that it was like it's obviously an online series, but I'm not sure if all of our listeners are familiar with your participation <laughs> in the <laughs> fantastic men produced Slag Wars. <laughs> um, so it's a reality, a four part reality TV show with um, Rebecca and Sophie, who are of the Cop Destroyers fame. Um, there was about seven of us, and um, I kind of went into it not really knowing what to expect. Uh, and I don't think the producers did either. And um, what was the process? Of, like, sorry to interrupt, but what was the casting process like? Like, how did you <laughs> find yourself? So, so, because so it was the first um, season, they uh, we were all handpicked. So, I think some of the producers had followed me for a while and kind of picked me. Um, but it, you know, it's a good mix of it was campiness of like bouncing on inflatable chickens, and then. <laughs> And then there was also like, you know, I spoke about addiction and, and sobriety on it. And uh, Nikki, a trans contestant, spoke about her struggles in America. And and Tyrese, who um, now identifies as non-binary, kind of being a, surrounded around those sorts of people, gave them the confidence to come out as non-binary. So it kind of grew into something quite special. Roll on season two. <laughs> it certainly sounds like it. It sounds like you had a really positive experience and it obviously kind of like built your profile in a way that's that's exciting. Yeah. That's quite, yeah. My main intention of when they pitched it, they were like, oh, there's themed uh, runways. So it was like lavish latex and Hollywood and stuff like that. And I thought, oh, these are, these are categories I kind of would have done for nightlife in heaven. So I was like, this is a cute, great vice to kind of keep me again proactive mentally stable um and then obviously as it started to get a bit bigger I was like okay this is going to equal a following which is not only going to keep me financially stable for a little bit but it's also going to give me you know a soapbox to stand on and speak about these issues and it's you know evidently led to things like this that I'm super grateful for (laughs) us too (laughs) yay so what does self-care look like for you today how do you take care of yourself spiritually emotionally and physically my peppermint tea today (laughs) (laughs) you know just like I put so much pressure on myself I'm so so strict on myself sometimes I really do need to rein it in sometimes but something I've adopted this year from from January is you know if I'm working out and I'm feeling a bit sore just stop like you can you can pick it up tomorrow and it's same with anything it's like if you're not getting as much work done as you wanted to just you know take an hour out and come back to it just like being kinder to myself and silly things like alexa light bulbs being like nicely lit when i go to bed and absolutely the important thing sometimes those little small things you know just to kind of Preach take the edge off well yeah i mean i think we can we can think about like 12 step especially or even just getting sober in any any way people get sober is like a discipline process you know and which i remember my sponsor like a, a long fucking time ago being like because i was also very rigid and <laughs> have a tendency to be hard on myself saying like it's not a self improvement program it's a self acceptance program and then you help others <laughs> like it was like okay cuz that's a totally different mindset as opposed to like i just have oh to be better God. and do better and like mm. if i'm not better i should fucking probably kill myself like this idea of like oh like 
how can I be kinder to myself today? Because that will help me be of better service to others. Yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm happy to hear you've so been nicer gorgeous. to you. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so we are going to whiz on into the lightning round. Hey. <laughs> I'm doing helicopter dance. <laughs> clearly. Um, <laughs> so if you were a sandwich, what kind of sandwich would you be? <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Oh, no. This sounds dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> Not physically, like a spiritual sandwich. Like, what calls oh, to your heart? <laughs> Not like, I'm the bologna <laughs> in between two pieces of rye bread. Like, <laughs> Oh, I'm definitely a cheese sandwich. Uh, you're so British. Oh, nice. <laughs> do you have pickle with it? I had, do you know what? I found Branston pickle in France and I had a Branston pickle and cheese sandwich today and I, it fucking made my, it's made my week. Wow. I have no idea what that is. Things. <laughs> you don't know what Br- isn't Branston Pickle great? Uh, I'm actually not a fan, so I'm not the person to ask. But you know? I, I, I've, I've heard good things. <laughs> oh my god! Just a plain cheese sandwich, cheese toasty, okay, yeah, delicious. Please, sorry, I don't mean to like ruin your <laughs> moment of lightning round. Rose, fine. What kind of sandwich would you be, Rose? Oh, thanks. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> that's what i wanted to talk about <laughs> um i don't know i'm definitely marmite aren't i you either love me or hate me so voila oh i don't i'm not yeah. i'm not sure if i'm a fan of marmite but i like you very much <laughs> i love you what am i talking about together. <laughs> we'd be disastrous if we didn't it was such a bad time um what about you luke I'm like i don't eat bread definitely. or meat or cheese. i know i was like <laughs> you'd have to be something gluten-free for sure it's like uh um okay so there's like if i ate any of those things there's a vietnamese sandwich place in um nolita in in new york called i don't know but ban mi ban mi so oh yeah and it would be a uh lemongrass tofu uh very spicy <laughs> sand- wow. vietnamese sandwich perfect oh yes you would definitely be that thank you Rose. <laughs> or a falafel whatever <laughs> or, or like a nasty street falafel <laughs> on any given day what turns you on what turns me on intimacy oh i think i think especially with my work it's definitely like because that side of work is very performative and public the thing that really turns me on is just one-on-one Favorite song to sing in the shower? Uh, what's that one that's like? And I am telling you, I'm not going. That was terrible. I don't know what song that I is, but go on. Like, carry on. <laughs> I don't know what that song is. Maybe I made it up. There you go. My own original track. Is my favorite song. Yes. A Kane original production. If you know what song that is, please tweet at us because we have no followers. <laughs> we have five what are you talking about those five are crucial your mum my dad no my mother's not allowed to listen oh yes my dad we had some like strict words with our parents parents if you're fucking listening on the choir we told you no get off now get off this is awkward and boundaryless by which we mean hang up not get off (laughs) (laughs) it's awful sorry it's the worst lightning round ever. <laughs> What's the best way for you to self-soothe yourself when you're feeling anxious? The best way for me if you to experience self-relief anxiety, self-soothe, um, self-soothe. de-escalate self-soothe. the anxiety. 
um, star jumps. It's impossible to be anxious when you do star jumps. It's true. And it, and, it, and it gets the happy dolphins going. <laughs> yeah, I normally just like, if I just feel like I'm spiraling into some sort of worry or anxiety or something, I'll just get, you know, just get up. Star jumps. <laughs> How yeah, many? Jumps. Oh, God, it can vary all day, all week. <laughs> as many so as I'll, possible. I'll probably start. I'll keep you fucking posted on that. <laughs> nice. Explosive. And finally, where can people find you on the interweb? So for clean content, it would be Instagram at C underscore A underscore I underscore N. And for naughty stuff on Twitter would be that cane guy. That cane guy. And OnlyFans, if people want to support your work. Is OnlyFans.com forward slash C underscore A underscore I (laughs) underscore N. (laughs) Beautiful. Kane, it has been a delight talking to you today. Thank you for being our guest. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm giving you a massive hug. And we can't wait to come to London and fucking come to one of your parties. I'm well excited. Please, please. Big cuddle, cuddle. 100%. 100%. Thank you for being so delightful. 